Hello and welcome to the Standard Sportsman Podcast, where your hosts Brent Birch and Kaysen Short will discuss, debate, and detail trending topics within the sport of duck and goose hunting. Brent and Kaysen have over 80 years combined chasing ducks in Arkansas with a like-minded pursuit of leaving waterfowling better than they found it. Each week, you will hear impactful interviews and engaging guests guaranteed to make you a more informed and effective hunter-conservationist. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let us jump into today's show with the guys. Hey guys, it's Brent and Kaysen, co-hosts of The Standard Sportsman. We appreciate you tuning in today as we've got a really cool episode uh, that we actually recorded about a month ago. We were just starting... The, the process of producing a podcast. Uh, guy's a friend of Kaysen's that I didn't know much about him other than what I saw on television. And, and there's a lot more depth to this guy than that. So I, I really appreciated the interview and getting to know him uh, and learning more about him and the way he sees duck hunting and conservation and all the, all the same things we talk about consistently on this podcast. So uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy it and I'll turn it over to Kaysen to introduce today's guest. Yeah, you know, that's it's interesting that you say that. I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours and Justin's the other day, and he described him as an iceberg. He's like, man, what, what people see at the surface is just a small fraction of what he really is and who he really is. Um, so joining us today is our friend Justin Martin. Justin and I met uh, a few years ago, kind of trying to get hooked up to get him up here to work on a banding project with us. And we had a hard freeze. Ducks moved out. We had to reschedule. We never could make it work out. But he and I have stayed in touch. We talk a lot, and there's so much to this guy beyond what you have seen on TV with Duck Dynasty. Um, he's a great conservationist, a great steward, and just a dang good guy. So before we get to Justin, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. The Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. From the people who brought you the first motion goose decoy in 1994 comes the first motion silhouette decoy. Once again, Higdon Outdoors has changed the game. I got a chance to get my hands on some of these the other day, and I was blown away. When I first heard they were in the works, I was a little skeptical. I didn't really see how you could have all the benefits of a silhouette, like lightweight decoys, the space savings, the ease of setup, and not lose something with adding a motion system. But as soon as I put the first stake in the ground, I knew they got it right. These rigs have amazing motion in the lightest breeze, and they sacrifice nothing. I've been chasing specs for over three decades, back when a spec call was even hard to find. It's amazing how far we've come in spec hunting, and Higdon Outdoors continues to pave the way. Revolutionary footwear from Light Boots, the lightest waterproof boot ever made. Your first hands-on feed-in introduction to Light Boots is a jaw-dropping experience. With a pair of men's 11s weighing in at less than 26 ounces, Light Boots are the benchmark in ultra-lightweight toughness, next-generation comfort, and ease of use. Whether you're all-weather hunting and fishing, Farm and ranching or home and gardening, light boots are guaranteed game changers. Now available in youth sizes. All right, Justin, thanks for joining us today. How you doing, man? Well, boys, I'm I'm doing pretty good. Uh, life is good. We're uh, you know we're rocking and rolling along. Our first orders for the year are shipping out to the kind of the big stores, and and they're getting ready for duck season. So it's always kind of a kickoff to remind you, like you know, hey, you better get your butt out there and put in the work if you want to reap the rewards of it. So um, I think that's probably the the biggest misnomer, the biggest misconception that people have about us. We are a call company, but we are also 
we don't have like a full crew working our land. Like the, the full crew is us. So you kind of have to balance family and business and habitat um, all, all in the same realm and realize that, you know, duck season ain't just 60 days. Um, and that's just, is, you know, something we enjoy doing. Like, I mean, I, I don't know about y'all, but like, I, I, I feel the best when I got a little dirt under my fingernails and some time in a tractor seat or skid steer seat or whatever, you know, whatever the project may be. So, um, it's uh it's rolling right along and you know middle of september will be here before we know it yeah that's right and it's uh, interesting you pointed that out the the lines between work and hobbies and hunting and family it all kind of gets blurred and it just becomes a a non-stop revolving door of activity uh, especially now i know you've got those two twins man raising kids and doing everything else it's it's non-stop and it will just get busier i know uh People told me that when I first had kids and I was like, man, there's no way I'm already pretty busy, but now I've got four kids and I don't know. I don't know how that time to even do the show today and just uh, so stuff going on. But tell us a little bit uh, while we're talking about your background and stuff, what all has kind of changed for you guys since the show? Um, do you have any more time? Are you able to, to, to do more habitat stuff? What's different now? You know, uh, Duck Dynasty pretty well controlled our lives for, I don't know, probably, what was that, six years we did, we did that, five or six full years. Um, and now we're just kind of, you know, after it ended, we kind of took a little hiatus um, from the public eye, so to speak, you know, as, as big of a hiatus as we could. Like, you know, when, once that happens, you're never really out of the public eye. But we quit filming basically anything. We, we got back to, um, you know, why we love to hunt, like, we just would go without cameras and it's like, Oh man, that's so nice. <laughs> like just, You know, with the stuff that you didn't realize before. And then, but you know, I, I knew, I knew, um, after the show, I was tasked with the, uh, the role of general manager of, of duck commander. And I knew as tired as I was that, that my other guys were also tired. When I say my other guys, I'm talking about Phil, Jace, Cy, Goblin, so kind of my plan was to like, okay, we got probably got a little brand fatigue going on anyway. So let's just chill for a little bit. Like, let's get back to hunting for fun. You know, let's do all of our stuff and, and, and all that. But like, let's just kind of hunt for fun. Let's, let's not worry about it. Cause I knew with the way that all of us are, we're, we're, we're very um, self motivated, you know, driven people that we would get bored and we would want to do it again. Um, and so, you know, just kind of let that play itself out and, and here we are. And, you know, now that we've kind of, you know, entrenched ourselves into the YouTube world, as far as our content goes and, um, you know, Phil and Jace have the super successful podcast unashamed. Um, and then we started not long after that, the duck call room, uh, kind of focusing around me side goblin and, uh, you know, so we're kind of in the podcast realm uh straight hunting on youtube um you know a lot of cooking and a lot of habitat work i i didn't realize when we started the youtube stuff just how how many people really didn't know about habitat and and b that that wanted to get involved with making their stuff better so i was like man that's really cool i thought this was just something like you know us nerds did you know i, I just didn't realize that um, I didn't realize the people, you know, it was, I didn't realize it was such a wide reach on habitat. So 
we're getting ready to start back into production of, of some of that because we're getting into like the really labor intensive time of habitat. You know, prior to this, it's kind of a for us and what we found that works here in North Louisiana, it's kind of a rinse and repeat. So there's nothing really new. But now we've got some new projects going. Um, and you're right with my boys. Like I can't. I can't this year devote as much time per se as I have in the past to actual boots on the ground habitat work. Um, just because I don't, you know, I, to me, it's not fair to leave my wife at home with two eight month olds while I go, you know, skip around on a tractor and do that kind of stuff. Um, because she's killing it as a stay at home mom during the week while I'm working my nine to five. So yeah, on the weekends, I kind of take lead with the boys and give her some time off. And um, But the day's coming, you know, it, and it's already so much better than it was even four months ago uh, with the boys. And the day's coming that they're going to be with daddy on a tractor. Like, you know, ain't no free rides around here. You want to hunt here? You you about to get to work here. So, um, you know. Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious how you pulled off uh, last, I know, you know, the outdoors and duck season's part of your livelihood <laughs> how you pulled off duck season last year with newborn twins ah it was uh it was tricky <laughs> but i'll tell you what i did i just i strictly last year hunted weather um i didn't hunt like i normally would i just looked at the forecast we had an agreement of at least one day a week i would hunt um based off of my livelihood and needing to produce content and all of that and if the weather lined up i could hunt however many days because she hunts too so she gets it um you know she she was just upset that she couldn't really go um last year but i'm going to make sure that that changes this year where she gets to go and um even if it means i stay back with the boys or you know grandma or or whoever um, she just wasn't comfortable getting away from them last hunting season, you know, oh, as, sure. as a new first time mother is totally, um, totally expected. And, and, you know, so that was, that was cool, but she, she knew and she got it. And, you know, she was very, um, very, uh, gracious in that. And, um, you know, I tried to, I, I did everything I could to not take that for granted to, uh, to let her know that I was on her team. And as soon as duck season ended, I sent her away for three days and I kept the boys and she got to just kind of go chill by herself and relax for a little while. And um, I've managed to keep doing that throughout this off season, like making sure she has little, little small getaways with friends and family so that, um, you know, because yeah. I mean, this ain't Game of Thrones, but winter is coming. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that's a uh, yeah, that's that's a wise move on your part uh, to to you know allow her some time and and to juggle all that because that's that's uh, that's something I, I'm a long ways from having newborns. Uh, you know, my kids are all in their twenties, but uh, but I remember the day and having to juggle all that. So. It's a delicate balance for sure, but it's but it's doable. I mean, we've all done it. Amen to that. It's doable as long as you buy into it. Like you know, you can't, right. you can't have one. The both sides have to buy into it. You can't have one side buy into it and the other one not. So um, you know, and I, I just I don't want to be I don't want to be absent for a lot of these things. So I, I've made it a priority to uh, to intentionally spend time with them um, and do and do stuff with them. Like do. 
do fun things and make sure that they're outside. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was outside uh, water in my little garden area and there was a, uh, there was a garter snake just laid up there. I guess he'd been sitting there eating bugs. So of course me, you know me, I picked him up and, uh, and I let the boys touch him. I was like, you know, Hey, seven, seven and a half months old. Y'all need to figure this out. Like these things aren't bad for us. <laughs> we all work together. Um, and then I made sure that they watched me put him back. And like, I'm just trying to make sure that there's not a fear there uh, of things going forward, but rather a respect and, a, um, you know, that kind of deal, like caught a box turtle, brought it inside um, and, and let him crawl around on the mat with him. <laughs> Brittany was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I'm just trying to make two little nerds. Like, that's all I want. Uh, I I want them to go skip around the woods with me. Like it, that, it ain't just, you know, it ain't about the hunting and the killing. It's about the 365 work. So, um, and, and hopefully they, you know, starting it so young, they'll, you know, it'll, it'll not be, I, I just don't want them to run away from something saying, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially nowadays with all the distractions, kids are, are provided the the role you know, we kind of play as, as dads is, and even mentors to kids that aren't ours is to, you know, get them out and involved and feeling the outdoors and experiencing it to, so they have, you know, childhoods that are similar to what we all grew up with and be able to run around and, and do all the things we did. Uh, the world's definitely different, but can't lose sight of, of that experience. And, and uh, that's awesome that you're already jumping on that at seven and a half months. Yeah, I've caught a little black for it on social, but you know what? I don't care. I'm like, hey, y'all raise those kids how y'all want to. I'm going to raise mine how I want to. So that's right. Oh, yeah. Some people are going to complain about, you know, what age you get them into shooting a gun or any, whatever. People are going to tell you what you're doing wrong. They're eager to do that. But I think you're on the right track. As long as you keep exposing them to things, they're they're going to pick it up and they're going to pick up the good stuff. Uh, mine yesterday had noticed a bunch of oak trees coming up in my neighbor's yard. You know, they're just above the grass and they wanted to, uh, to go pull a bunch of them up and bring them over to the farm and plant them this weekend. I was like, well, hey, I mean, I can't argue with you. They probably won't live, but at least your mind's in the right place. And you're thinking about, you know, doing good stuff. So, um, uh, plant those little seeds with those kids and they'll, they'll grow up to be good stewards. Yeah, no doubt. Amen. No, I love it, man. I, I, I take mine outside to water the garden every morning. Uh, I, I swap them cause I can only tote one of them. They don't got so big, but, um, <laughs> which is not a shocker coming from me and their mom that they're, they're already just super like, I guess you call them tall. They ain't standing up yet, but they long anyways, but just to, just to make sure that they know why we do what we do. Um, and, and that's kind of like the other day I made some, we grew some sweet corn in a place that we haven't really been able to grow anything. And, um, you know, the other day I took them out there to, while I picked it and they just kind of laid there on the four wheeler and, and then I brought them home and then we made puree, corn puree. They hated it because they still don't like textures. They love the taste, but they hated the texture, but just to kind of, you know, just start that, start that whole deal with them. And, um, you know, I can only I can only hope that they'll, you know, love it a quarter of what I do. And then then if they'll do that, I can I can work with that. I can build off of that. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you you mentioned, uh, you know, turning them into little nerds like yourself. So you you and I actually met and started talking to each other because of a 
a science project, really, some of these GPS transmitter studies. Um, talk a little bit about your interest in that research and really any any research that you want to talk about. What what kind of motivates you to to be involved and help out with that? Well, I you know, when I was in college at ULM here locally, um, I always thought, you know, I was going to be a doctor, medical doctor, whatever. Um, did all the pre-med stuff, biology major, all that mess. And then I went and interned a little bit at a hospital and I was like, well, this sucks. Like everybody here is miserable. Nobody's smiling. You know, like this, this ain't what I want to do. Like this, this doesn't seem like a long, a, a path to happiness for me. So I was like, but I was also very, um, I don't know what the right word is, but I, I just, then I looked and I said, I don't want to waste all these credits. Like, so what do I, what do I do now? So I just flipped from humans to animals, basically, um, which they have always interested me. Like I've, I've grown up in the outdoors. I've hunted my whole life. I was hunting then. Um, I, but I just never really looked at it as potentially like a career path on the, on the nerd part of it. But then I got involved with it. And I was like, man, that's really cool. And I breezed through all those classes because they were super interesting and, and all that. And then uh, one of my teachers offered me a graduate assistantship that she had available. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, graduate school was never like anywhere in my five-year, 10-year, whatever kind of plan you want to talk about. But I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, I'll do it. Cool. And <clears throat> so I did it. And we did a... Um, our project was prairie restoration, um, which was a massive failure, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, but you got to be honest about what you do in your work. Like, you know, we we tried our best. I can tell you that. Um, and um, but we did it. And but in that, I did my thesis and research on wood ducks. And because I love I love ducks, obviously, even before I was here. Um, and that just kind of always spurred it on. You know, I would say in my life at that time, I was still the hunter, um, which I always say this when people ask. I think there's a lot of different stages to being a hunter. And I was very much at that time in in the kind of the bloodlust stage of a hunter. Like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't kill enough. Didn't matter right. if I killed six a day every day. It just wasn't enough. Like the the thirst was there and like... You know, but I got out of college and got out of that, um, um, started working here at Duck Commander during that time because I had made friends with these guys uh, while working my part-time job in college. And um, as I grew up and, you know, I say grew up, I was 22, 23, but, you know, I, I tell everybody it took me about 25 years for me to pull my head out of my rear end. Um and but as I grew up, you know, I kind of evolved from that um, bloodlust hunter to, man, this is really cool. Like just taking it all in. And, and then from that, I just kind of just went back to my formal training of biology and like, this is really cool, but how do we make it better? Um, and that's what really has spurred me is to make it better, not only for us. I mean, a little bit of selfishness there is we need better stuff to hunt and film and sell our product and 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 all of that from a business standpoint. 
but then also um, as my friends started having kids and, and all of that kind of stuff, and we started taking them, I'm, then it brings an awareness to you of, well, what are these kids going to do? Um, you know, like, are they going to have the same opportunities that we did? And, and how do I make sure that they have the same opportunities in the outdoors that we did? And I, and I think it's just a, a maturity thing. Um and, you know, I, I think that is kind of now my focus is 100 percent on um, making it better for them two little boys at my house. Um, you know, I went last year several times. It's one of the reasons that you mentioned earlier, Kaysen, about me and the new 28 gauge. The, the reason that I have swapped to sub gauges is because it's not about the kill anymore to me. Like it, it is all about finishing the ducks in the decoys close enough where a little 28 gauge that goes poof will kill the duck with one shot. Um, and, you know, so that, you know, you give me a 12 gauge in today's shotgun shells, I can, I can kill them further than they need to be killing. And that's not bragging. That's just, that's just facts. And so that, that's not fun to me anymore. Like that's, that's just a shooting contest. What's fun is, you know, shooting ducks with their toenails wet. Um, right inside decoys over stuff that you've worked and built and and done and made better and um, and kind of um, on our deal. If you even look around, we focus mainly on using the native seed bank to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll do some cover crop stuff, some jap millets to kind of help shade out some woody succession and stuff like that. But for the most part, we use what the good Lord put here. Um, because our ducks have changed in North Louisiana. So, um, you know, if you're in North Louisiana and you go out there and you manage for mallard ducks and ma- mallard ducks only, then you are in a bind. <laughs> you better start. Yeah, that kind of. <laughs> you better start managing for shovelers and teal and gadwalls and, <laughs> you know, so it's just. Well, that Yeah. That's uh yeah, and I think our landscape in Arkansas has changed too, and and we're starting to see some of that. You know, Kaysen is obviously heavily involved in some research projects, actually hosts a few uh, on his farm, and then uh, I, I, you know I've been involved in a few too, and and you do I think you have a different appreciation for um, the you know this this game that we chase uh, once you understand more about them. And and there's no question a transformation of of us, you know, shifting from the the bloodless stage like you were talking about to where, um, you know, it's it's more of what you see, what you experience out there that doesn't always necessarily have to do with the, the killing part, uh, especially especially over ground that you've, you know, put your blood, sweat, and tears into. Um, so that's a that's a that's a it's an awesome experience that you you don't know unless you unless you've done it um and not that everybody has the the fortune to to own their own ground uh, and be able to work it um but um but are, there's an appreciation for that that's probably a little bit maybe uh not acknowledged as as much as maybe it should uh in the hunting circles that um just how much work goes into all that and and how much uh, under you know a, a better appreciation for understanding waterfowl and what they do and why they do it. Absolutely, you know I think and and 
today's society is so much take, take, take. And, and we, you know, we, the, the giving back is just throwing money into conservation funds, which are needed. Don't, don't, don't hear me wrong, but, but getting out there and putting your boots on the ground and giving back to those critters that give you so much is, is, uh, that in, in my mind, if, if you don't do it, then what are you doing it for? Like, what, what's this about? What are mm-hmm. you chasing? Um, you know, being, and I'm sure you guys see it, being private ground guys, we catch all the flack. Well, if you hunted public, you do this. Well, well I, I got, I got one issue with the public hunters. Where are y'all on the work days on the stuff that y'all are griping about? <laughs> yeah. Like, where, yeah, that, where are y'all that, at? That, where, where, I know one <laughs> of you is a mechanic. Y'all can't go fix that pump. You won't volunteer your time and you, your effort to go fix it. Like, I, I, that is the one thing that just just it, it crawls under my skin. Like, yeah. So y'all y'all have the same because that I mean that that public private segmentation of hunters is super prevalent in Arkansas. Oh, uh, and it and it even comes a lot from non native Ar- you know non Arkansans mm-hmm. that come to Arkansas to hunt that have this this such a strong um opinion and division uh divide you know between public and private land hunters and and you know it's interesting to hear that louisiana has the same oh 100 you know kind of same divide yeah 100 percent. we do you get the message oh that must be nice go out there and what yeah it kind of is i ain't gonna lie man it is not yeah you know, what they don't see, too, is that for all them years of, you know, I, and I'm not going to speak for y'all, but I cut my teeth hunting public ground, and I still go hunt public ground. I just don't film it or photograph it because I want my spots to be left to myself. So, right. <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, that is what it is, but that is where my boys are going to learn how to do it. Like, they're not going to get to go to the juice every day. No, sir. No, we about to. Yeah, we about to test your love for this, um, and and to make sure that this is something that you want to do, and realize what it takes to get to that other side over there, um, you know. And and but there is that divide, and I just I get I get aggravated that all you hear out of them is griping, and but nobody wants to put put words into action on how they could actually help the state do it. Um, yeah. Or the feds or anybody like that. Well, they should do it. That's our money. Well, I, I agree to an extent, um, but they're obviously not. So what can you do to help them? You know? And, and Yeah, for sure. So that's just, we'll get, that's a different, yeah, that's we'll, a different soapbox. We don't need to go down. But. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole episode <laughs> in itself. And, and, and I'm, and, and I want to be clear that I'm not disparaging public land duck hunting and, no. and i know the challenges that are related to that but there you know there's there's challenges on the private side too and and while everybody's at the lake and and doing their thing this time of year well if if you're managing your own ground you're you're putting in some some serious work uh this time of year mm-hmm. uh, to where it's just not show up and hunt so there, i mean it's a balance and, you know, you know kind of goes both ways and i just i, I just really really struggle to to understand the, the the angst that causes that divide, but like I said, that's a whole nother episode. But uh, let's circle back a little bit, if we can, to you know, you started to allude to 
you know, if you're managing for Mallards in North Louisiana, good luck. Um, kind of talk about, you know, what changes you've seen, you know, in, in that area. And because probably that some of that spills into, you know, very Southern Arkansas, you know, Lake Village and, and those areas, um, you know, there's, there's some traditional good hunting in, in, in that area too. Uh, maybe kind of, you know, kind of expand on, the changes you've seen and, and are, are Mallard numbers as bad as they seem to be in Louisiana. And, and then, and, and then we can touch on the whole rice production piece. And cause I know that's, that's a habitat driver that's really changed over, over time down there. Yeah. I think probably, um, you know, the biggest as a whole change down this way, if, if I had to put my thumb on one, um, would be the, the way that people farm now. Um, you know, it used to be, Oh, you go in the winter and there were fields of every kind of stubble and, um, grain and anything that was grown stalks were all still in the ground. And, um, you know, so not, not knowing then what I know now, there was a lot more food readily available for for wintering ducks here. Um, and now they have gotten so dialed in with such early rice and early beans and early everything, corn, you name it. Like they get it in the ground and get it out of the ground as quick as they possibly can that for, you know, essentially without a hurricane, the whole month of uh september and october they they can work the ground um and turn it into basically walmart parking lot um and they churn the seeds under and you know if if you get a sprout then you know your groceries are gone and um the geese love it for a little while but uh you know even then there's not as much for them because generally in the disking and churning they bury it too far for it to even germinate all the way up to the top so um you know, I, if I had to pick one landscape change, I would say that's probably our single biggest um, is that. Um, now, with that being said, you know, uh, the the mallard numbers, I, I mean, I don't keep up with them per se. There's just definitely not as many mallards down here as there were when I was growing up hunting. But... Um, you know, they're still really good duck hunting if you do it smart. Um, and and when I say smart, like I still have all my log books back to when I was a public guy, when I was a river rat um, chasing water. And, and I'll tell you this right now, it is amazing to see that ducks in 2023 do the same things that ducks in 2001 did. If the water levels get to certain areas, they go to these same places. And you can go back there and still have really good hunts. Um, so it, it's incredible on that. But we just don't hold it, the number of mallards um, that we used to. But, you know, with the right amount of management, um, and when I say management, I'm talking about managing the way that you hunt, um, the pressure that you you put on the, the fowl, you can keep ducks down here for 60 days. Um and you can have a pretty good duck season, and you know, it, as long as the ducks do their part and act and migrate, um, you know, you can you can manage what you got to do the best you can with what you got, or you can go in there for three days and high five and burn your gun barrels off and not shoot them again for two weeks. It's just all in what you want to do as a hunter. Um, 
me, I like the longevity of it. I, I like being able to shoot a few in November and then still shoot some at the end of January. So uh, we've gotten pretty dialed in on, on some things that we do as far as managing our hunts and hunting pressure um, and things that, you know, we just, we, we, we have a hard, pretty hard set of rules and we abide by them um, and we, we don't stray from them. The Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. I've always been a fan of Yeti coolers and their drinkware. Now, now they've come out with a Loadout 30 Go Box. Uh, Brent, did you know they're also making those in a 15 and a 60 now? I did. I've been a big fan of the 30. Uh, I actually carry around our our mobile podcast gear in one. And then I've got another one that I use during duck season that I don't have to worry about any of my gear getting wet or dusty and dry when it, when it hadn't rained in a while. It's a amazing product yeah so I, I use them a bunch uh same deal i've got a 30 that stays in the boat uh carry camera gear and all sorts of equipment in it and it's nice to know that clients dogs you know nothing's going to get it wet going to tear it up but the the 15 has really found a spot in my arsenal as well i switch from hunting with clients to hunting with my kids pretty frequently and it's great to to use that 15 as an ammo box so i've got all the kids ammo gauge reducers hand warmers, whatever they're going to need in one box. And all I've got to do is grab it and I'm ready to take them out in the woods. Yeah. The Yeti Go box is is definitely the way to go and keep it organized, accessible and protected. And it's no matter what size you pick, it's a must have for waterfowl season. Tom Beckby started in 2015 with the simple goal of making classic sporting apparel for sportsmen. Since introducing their flagship tinsaw jacket eight years ago, they've carried that goal forward with a full range of classic wax cotton jackets canvas and leather bags and field gear for waterfowlers and upland hunters you can shop for their full collection at tombetby.com in their birmingham alabama and wilson arkansas stores and at over 150 retailers across the united states backed by a lifetime guarantee find out for yourself the difference between quality over quantity talk a little bit more about uh pressure and how you you guys control that because i'm a firm believer that's one of the it's really the only thing we can control. We can't control the weather. We can't control photo period. We can't anything that drives migration. We have no impact in it, but we can control gun pressure. Yeah. So us, um, we hunt basically, you know, you hear everybody gripe about limits and I wish we'd go to four and I wish we'd go to this. Well, it's the same thing. You can't. There's nothing saying this because you can kill six that you have to. If you think the limit should be four ducks, go kill you four ducks and go to the house. Um, but in our world, we do basically for the first month, essentially, of the season, the first half of the season, we have a nine o'clock hard out. Unless, unless you have killed 20 ducks before eight o'clock. And then if that's the case, if you got 20 and it's 8 o'clock, you get the heck out of there. Because 20 ducks generally, we have anywhere from, most times it's four, but a lot of times it's five, six, seven, you know. It, but even with seven guns, if you shot 20 ducks, that is a heck of a duck hunt. I don't care what anybody says. That's more than you seven guys are going to eat if you do that in a few a few days in a row. And you've got plenty of stories to tell. You got plenty of food. You got plenty of everything. So get the heck out of there. Um, 
And, you know, that is just something that we've done um, in the past. Like, you know, when they upped the blue wing limit to six, we said we all got together and like, let's just keep killing four. Like, yeah. we don't kill six blue wings. We ain't worried about it. Uh, now, if it's a weird day and, like, you get two good bunches right off the rip and you you shot, you know, you you and your guy shot really well and you look up and you've got six a man, okay, that's cool. Like, whatever, that's fine. It's not a problem because that's there, but on those days where it's not so good, four man is more than enough. Like, um, yeah, I don't. I love the teal hunt early season, and I don't know that I have any more fun with a six bird limit than I did at four. Uh, just now, but I can tell you what those two birds a man does adds about an extra ten minutes, ten to fifteen minutes to the hunt per man. Yep, what is what it's oh, for sure. So you could have. You know, if there's five of you, you could have 20 by 7 o'clock. Well, y'all can't because y'all don't hunt till sunup, um, which is kind of weird. Um, thank God we can shoot 30 minutes before. Um, and so, but you can have 20 at 7 or, you know, you could hunt till 9 o'clock and get your 30. Well, what, what did you do those two hours other than just A, sweat, uh, and B, if you, you know, you're just, you're putting more pressure on birds that may come in there and use your field and gain more birds and, and this, that, the other. So like, you know, we're, we're four birds a man and we get the heck out of there. And I, I agree. It is no more or less fun doing that than if I was killing six. Um, like I said, on them flight days where you get them bunches of 75, uh, you know, all drakes and all that, cause they're all flying together and they get any plugs cause blue wings are pretty stupid. Um, and and you all shoot really good, and like you did get your six a man. Yeah, that was fun, man. But you know, a lot of times that's over even quicker than the other way. I was talking about shooting four a man. So, yeah. um, I, I don't like the hunt yeah. to be over before it started. You know, I'm like, dang, huh? Huh? okay. <laughs> yeah the the consequences of that uh, the consequences of that dry of trying to get get to six from the four. You know, the it's not worth the. It's not worth the reward uh, in most know, cases. I'm not going to be so naive as to say that us that do this for a living um, didn't drive some of that with, you know, stuff that we have to do marketing wise on social media and stuff. And I'm talking about in the past, not currently. You won't see any pile pics or none of that crap from us. But, um, you know, but in the past, it was kind of like, that's why you were a professional. Look what I did, you know, mm-hmm. like that. It was just kind of that's what all your sponsors wanted. That's what everybody wanted. And now you see even um, even the media and the sponsors and the companies that work with understand that that's not telling the whole story. And and they want the whole story, um, which is fantastic. Like it's been a complete shift in the hunting world, you know, which is a really good thing. So it'll take some time to kind of bleed down to the to the hunter and realize that pile picks ain't what it's about. Um, and so that's just, you know, we're, we're firm believers in that as the season stretches on, we'll add some shooting time in there if we feel it needs to be. Um, but I'm telling you, man, a lot of times I've never for the most part had anybody gripe about leaving at nine o'clock because generally by that time they're either cold or they're hungry or there's something and we can go back and have breakfast and warm up or do whatever. And everybody's still smiling at the end of the day, you know? Um, and, and I just think if, if you did it as a whole, um, 
Now, now, I'm not saying our way is the only way or the right way, but I do think that if you do that and if you take those days off that are kind of gar conditions, those high clouds, you know, southeast wind at two uh, <laughs> and 55 degrees when you wake up in the morning and just let those ducks have those days to sit and relax, I think you're just a lot better off. Like, you know, go hunt when the wind's in your favor, sunshine's out, whatever, and let them, let them have the rest of the time, you know, um, which is a lot of what I did last year. You know, normally I hunt uh, 50 plus days a year. I, I'm to the age where I refuse to hunt in the rain. Um, so, you know, generally I have about 10 rain outs a year. Um, and because if I can't film it, why am I going? Kind of a deal. Um, so last, but last year I only hunted like 31 hunts with the newborns and hunted strictly weather and conditions. And I had just as much fun, if not more than when I hunt 50, you know, like, and, you know, and, and my numbers of ducks per hunt were up. My number of ducks per hunter were up. Like my averages were better. My quality of hunt was better. It was just an overall better experience for me. Like I was like, man, this is all right. <laughs> yeah. That's- yeah. Cause when you, when you have the choice, the playing the weather, I mean, I've done it for a long time and I, I'll still go on days. It's marginal or I know it's not going to be very good. And mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, it's not, but um, yeah, your satisfaction level goes way up when you, you, you pick your days. If you're, and if you're able to do that, not everybody can do that. Uh, they got to hunt when they have the, the availability, uh, in their schedule. But if you can pick weather days, your, your level of satisfaction goes way up. And if you sit out the crappy days, um, you, those aren't even on your radar. You don't have anything to complain about because you didn't go. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> and the, and the ducks got time to just be ducks, you know? Exactly. And that, and that's, and that's what, yeah, it gets back to the whole pressure deal that, um, you know, if, if more of us would take the days off that are, are those bad weather day, bad for hunting success days, um, give those ducks a break versus, oh, let's just try it anyway. And you go out there and you kick them all up and gun goes off a handful of times, uh, maybe kill, you know, you, you kill a couple and it's, it's a bad hunt, but the, the downside is, is you disturbed them um, and you shot at them and and everything else. And that over obviously over sixty days that adds, adds up. Well, that's a it's an interesting thing we're talking about here because if you look at adaptive harvest management, you know the AHM framework is managing the breeding population for maximum opportunity, not maximum population. And in turn, you look at you know Larry Reynolds, Louisiana, or even the surveys done here in Arkansas. It's about maximizing opportunity. And I'm a little more of the of the opinion that if you really want to improve hunter satisfaction, let's let's have a quality product. Getting to go 60 days, if 20 of them are rain out or bad weather or whatever you want to call it, my satisfaction is going to go down. I'm like I, you guys are you're on point there. Like satisfaction is a quality hunt. And that's I think what we should be managing for, not just sheer number of days in the field. Yeah, and I think that's why, to me, that's why, I, you know, all these people want to talk about going back to a 30-day season, which we had when I was a teenager. Um, the 60-day the 60 season, to me, is is viable because if, if you sit out the 75-degree days, 
the pouring down rain days, the thunderstorm days, the high cloud days, then you're, you know, you're, the season's drastically reduced um, to where it is in that 45 day, that, that meet, you know, that mid range uh, management uh, plan. Um, so the 60 days allows you to, to garner enough days to actually have conditions that lead to success. So you cut it down to 30 or these people that want to go back to 30 days. I I don't think they have a good recollection of just how fast that went I would agree, and how quick that was over. Um, <laughs> but uh, because, I mean, it's over in a heartbeat. Uh, and I remember it as a kid. I was like, oh, it's opening day. And then, oh, that's it. That's all. That's all it's all over. So yeah. um, I like the 60 days for that reason. But you got to have the, you know, the wherewithal to understand that you don't have to be out there all 60 and and the ducks definitely don't need you out there all 60. Well, you know, and on that note too, we, you and I've talked a bunch about the 30-day framework. Um I think a lot of our days in the 60-day framework are are wasted or they're either harmful. I, I don't think we should be hunting ducks as late in January as we do. We, we've got a lot of data about pair bonding and the damage that's done uh by harvesting either drakes or hens that late in the year. So um I know that comes back to public private debate, but I think you'd see more hunter satisfaction if we were to open seven to 10 days earlier and take some of those early days and early migrating birds. And I think that quality would go up. I mean, we are North of Louisiana and we open after them, after Texas, you know, like if ducks are in those parts yeah. of the country, we've got them here too. And, and I think most people recognize that we have them, but that's a, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the timing of splits. Uh, I, I believe in Arkansas needs some some serious modification. Uh, considering if you're gonna re- you know if you're gonna have a split to rest ducks, and we do that long, super long December split, but then we have a two or three day split, and then we hunt them thirty five plus days to end the season after they've been pressured since September. Yeah, um, yeah, we get going. For what, seven, that eight that, that's not for the resource. That's for the hunter. That's right. Yeah, we're seven eight days in the season, and then we're sitting on the sideline for ten days and. I mean, that's some good, some good days right there that, uh, yeah, public and private could take advantage of. But I want to circle back a little bit, uh, Justin. You mentioned pile picks and kind of what what brands want to see now versus kind of what people had to do before. And I want to I want to ask you a little bit about social media. And I know we run into that as well. We've got a lot of followers running the guide service. That's what they want to see. They want to know that we're killing ducks. They want to see the the product, if you will. And I, I hate it. I, I, I don't take pictures to show how many we kill. I don't like posting that stuff. Um, I have no problem. You know, if it's in the moment or hanging on a tree or stuff like that, you know, like I look back at all the black and white photos that we've got on the wall here. And you could do that tastefully. I mean, that's how we remember a hunt sometimes. But in a lot of ways, social media has, has changed, I guess, the intent behind some of that. A lot of people are taking those pictures to to brag and to do all that. So I know it's kind of a common theme, but do you think in some ways that social media has hurt duck hunting? Uh, you know, I try to look back at... um it, it, like what you're talking about growing up um now obviously y'all have a lot more documented history of of with the black and white photos but you know the old man that i grew up with um hunting and you know, wore a bunch of paper mill hands um 
And I don't, what is so wild is I don't ever remember, like outside of like a first duck or something like that, I don't ever remember taking a photo. Like, you know, it just was not, it was business as usual, so to speak. And, uh, you know, you went and if you had a strap full of ducks, that's because that's what you expected to happen because you were good at your craft. You didn't have to document it. You know, now if there was something crazy that happened, banded ducks always still got a picture and and that kind of stuff. And um, you you documented kind of, you you didn't document daily, you documented anomalies, so to speak. And uh, Mm -hmm. there's so much pressure, I think, on social media and, and what you know, for a while, these companies wanted the the pressure to document daily that I'm day one of 60. And, you know, here's my pile from today. <clears throat> and, and, um, and that kind of deal that, that <laughs> I think what it's done is set unrealistic expectations for hunters. I, I don't want to say that it's herd hunting because social media is our greatest tool for recruitment. Mm-hmm. And anybody that tells you there's too many people hunting just simply does not look at the data. Uh, That's right. Yeah. We, we do not have too many people hunting. Um, we do have crowded and restricted access, no, no doubt about that. Um, but there are not too many people in the field doing this. Um, you know, I don't, I haven't looked at last year's yet, but I mean, we're talking about a million people. That's it. A million. Yep. Um, on, on, you know, on average. And there's what, something like, like 20 million deer hunters. And, and we can't keep deer off the roads now. Like, so. What, what what's changed like how come we seem to you know always be seeing less and deer hunters keep getting more and and, and there's way more of them than there are of us so i just don't when people come at me with that logic i'm like no man that that ain't it that ain't <laughs> yeah. there's something else but that ain't it and and i do think though that i i just again i think it's more of an expectation versus a reality kind of a deal um and, and i think that that the companies, and I'm going to include ourselves in that, um, from back in the early days of social media, made that where these pile picks and all were desirable. Um, not that we didn't take pile picks then. Everybody held their limit and all that. But um, but it was kind of just a, a braggadocious, you know. But And I think it really fits in that level of hunter we talked about earlier of the bloodlust. Like, yeah, look what I did, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and and so I, I don't I just hate to use the phrase hurt because it is single handedly our greatest tool um, to educate, to inspire, to show. Um, but I do think it, you know, it probably had a small negative impact from an expectation standpoint. Um, and and. And that is what it is. Like any tool, you you got to figure out how to use it. I'm sure the first man that made a hammer just smashed the snot out of his thumb before he figured out how to hold that nail. You know, like, um, and and I think it's the same that goes, you know, for social media. Like, oh man, we screwed up on this. Let's fix it. Like, you know, and 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 I think you see in the hunting world, and because I, I hate to call it the hunting industry, but the the hunting world, I, I think you see that shift to let's tell the whole story. Um, you know, let's tell about the June out there working. Let's tell about the, 
you know, the stuff, and now even more so, I, and it, it fires me up because now I'm following all these research pages that, that research is at the forefront and is being thrown out there on social media and people are getting educated um, over over what is actually happening to our resource. And I, I think that's where we stand to gain the most ground is, is the education and show it like your satellite studies that um, you guys are doing and they're doing out of uh, West Tennessee and and even down South Louisiana and like so I think man that that stuff is really cool when these people start realizing oh man that duck you know that duck or that goose moved a lot just based off of hunting pressure like man they stayed pretty content and then people got to hunting and they said no we're out bro like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and think, and to have that data is basically real time as it is, I think, is one of the biggest things that will help us in, in what we're, to, we're we're discussing as far as, you know, taking care of the resource. Um, because taking care of the resource is not just more grass around prairie potholes. I mean, those things got to live 12 months a year. Like, it, it, little ones are great. Yeah, they sell a lot of spinning wing decoys. Cool. You know, but. Um, if we want this to continue in perpetuity, then then we got to figure out how to take care of them all 12 months. I think it's a good point about, you know, kind of seeing the the highlight reel for duck hunters. And it's not just true about changing expectations. It's not just true in the waterfowl world. I think you could see it uh, even, you know, with, with pages that moms follow or anybody else. You know, they see other people at their very best moment. They don't see the reality of it. Uh, and I do, I definitely think that as brands are getting more interested in this lifestyle stuff, the summertime, the year round, I think you're going to see a more accurate picture of what really, what really goes on and what goes into it. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned the research projects, you know, I think the very first time that we banned any white fronts, I mean, we had extremely strict rules on what we could photograph that we could not post any of those pictures on social media, certainly not any of the data we were getting back from it. And that's evolved a lot in the last few years. I mean, Cohen Lab is doing a fantastic job of putting out data. Uh, Doug Osborne here in Arkansas is doing a great job showing these maps. Um, but originally, you know, with social media, that stuff was so top secret, man. I don't think the Pentagon had access to it, but it's getting out there. And I think it's definitely going to help hunters, you know, see those movements and see what what their impact is really doing on these birds. Yeah. I think it goes back to that old line of like, what is known is manageable. Um, and once the, the, you know, John Q Hunter gets to see what pressure and, and all these landscape changes and things do to the actual game that they're chasing, then, then once that becomes known, then they themselves can kind of self-manage what they do about helping it. Um, now you're never going to get it out of the, yeah, again, I think every hunter, uh, I, I can't, you know, drive this point home enough, Like you don't go hunting one day, love it. And then just enter the conservation stage where we're all at, like you get in there and you figure that stuff out and by God, I'm going to kill everything comes around me. Like I'm going, I'm going to figure this out. And so you're always going to have that stage of hunter that's always interested in the pile picks. And it's always, it's look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. And it's how do we make sure that we do our best to shorten that gap that they're there and get them to our stage as 
because that's what the resource needs. Like it needs more of us. It's always going to have them, but how do we get people to transition to this stage faster? And I think that's one of the greatest assets that social media has the potential um, to to provide us. Like, and I think the more transparent this re- these research projects are, the the quicker that will happen. Yeah, yeah, because it's gonna that that's a, I mean that's a great point, and and there's no doubt social media can be a a, a very effective tool, uh, but not only the education, you know, the education, but the education an offshoot of that is myth busting as well, um, <laughs> and 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 really understanding. I mean, because there's so many coffee shop theories as to why. Duck, se- duck seasons of late have been how they've been, and, and most of them are 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 off track, um, or, or or a very small factor in the the overall scheme. So, uh, yeah, the more social media could can provide that education and and make a hunter evolve, like you said, and have a deeper understanding of of waterfowl. Um, that's going to be so much better for the long run. That way, you're you know you're your boys are going to ex- be able to see some of the things we've gotten to see in our lifetime and, and experience and, and make sure that doesn't go, go away because believe it or not, it can, there is no rule that says ducks have to come to Arkansas and Louisiana for the, for the rest of time. Um, you know, Arkansas used to have a awesome quail uh, population and it went to basically to nothing um, and, and working hard to get that back uh, modern day to get it back to like it, like it used to be kind of deal. And, and there's other animals in the, in the same boat, but. Uh, and that's why yeah. what you're saying there is why I always caution people about wanting legislation to change what we have. Cause we're at the point in a society where hunters, we, we don't get the same shake we used to get. Um, and so, like, if you keep pushing for this and we ever lose the 60-day season with, well, like y'all were talking about, 30 to 40 days of real true opportunity, we're never going to get it back. Not I, I personally believe, at least not in our lifetime. Um, whatever that drops to, it, it's not going back up because we just, you know, in the in the phrase that we used to use when I was in college, the, the hook and bullet biologist just ain't there anymore. Um working at those levels that help make those decisions. Instead, they're, you know, a lot of them are don't kill anything. And so I, I always caution people like, careful what you wish for, boys. Yeah, Just, slippery slope careful. for sure. <laughs> I, hear, I hear a lot of those comments, you know, the up-and-coming biologists, you know, you, you go to these universities and talk to the students and very few of them actually hunt. Um, so the people making decisions for us in the future might not be us or like us anyway. Yeah. And that's why I said that you don't, and I've always told them, I'm like, and look, the biologist doesn't have to hunt. They just have to respect the hunter mm-hmm. is all that I ever asked for them. And some of them are just so standoffish. I'm like, well, you know, better hope they don't ever get to that position. Cause we in trouble. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. maybe some yeah. of these labs that are on social media, you know, you, you've got young people growing up now that are watching that, pay attention to that, and maybe they're going to want to go off and and pursue that career now because it's it's more available and it's seen, you know, by a wider audience than it was just a few years ago. One hundred percent. If you'd have told me in my college age, like 
you know, Facebook was really just kind of gaining traction when I was in college. But if you would have told me then that like the opportunities to exist, to go out there and put backpack transmitters and I get to track a Mallard Drake for the next two years of my life and I can do my research project, on, I'm, I'm all in. Like, yeah. That would have been the coolest thing to me. Like, and it's really the only reason I still get like fired up over bands. And when I say fired up, I keep very few of them. I mostly give them away, but I just want to know the story. Like, right. I just, I want to know the when and the why. And I'm like, man, that's really cool. Like, you know, okay, that's all you can have the medal. I don't need the medal. That's cool. Like, <laughs> oh, that, that information, know, man, that's, if yeah. I just know the story, I'm, tickled paint like the story where it came from it's so cool uh i think most all hunters would agree with that it's all at least on the side of the story they might not all agree about giving the bands away but yeah well i know for a lot of those people it'll mean more to them that that they have a little piece of metal to remember the day by than than me so i'm like i just i just want to know the story man can you screenshot that certificate and send to me just so i can save it and look at where you know just the nerd it because i like put little pins on maps of where they come from and I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's awesome. You start noticing patterns and um, all those things. It's like, that's really cool. Like, if a duck's made there, there's a pretty high chance he's come to see me. That's neat. <laughs> I'll tell you something else that's that's cool. I don't I don't know if you ever got to tag along on a banding project, but uh, we were on a streak here, three or four. I think it was at least four rocket nets in a row. We caught another band, and I thought that was like. Man, that was really cool to pull one out of the net that someone else had already caught. Like, all right, man, this bird's been part of two studies now, you know. Um, but even crazier than that, I know biologists that that capture their own bands, you know, that have had their hands on that same bird in two different states, multiple years apart. Like that's just it's kind of mind-boggling to me to to think about that yeah. kind of site fidelity yeah. or consistency. It was always fun to me when I was in college doing my research on wood ducks. Um like every year when I would go back to ban the, the females and the boxes and all that, I was always like, please let it be her. Please let, I wanted a recapture because I wanted my girl to make it, you know, like I was like, man, I just hope it's her. And, you know, you get kind of bummed when you go through a whole year and realize that you didn't run into that band number again. Cause they, they possess such, you know, philopatric behavior, you know, she was there somewhere. Um, if she was alive and then you start thinking like, and I wonder what got her. <laughs> yeah. That's a strange feeling for a hunter to, to be bummed out about losing a bird, but to running this yeah. thing with, with those GPS devices, you know, when you get the, you get the call, the email that you got to go retrieve one and you're just like, man, somebody killed it, you know, but as a hunter, yeah. that's what we do. And that's what drives this research too. So, but yeah, I get that feeling. Well, Brent, you ready to uh, kind of wrap this up with our final segment here? Yeah, I think so. Uh, man, the, the discussion has been awesome. But uh, what 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 we kind of do to wrap these up is we kind of do a, a little bit of rapid fire question segment. Uh, so so none of these are intended to, you know, pontificate on for for a long time. They could be as short as as you like, and then uh, and then we'll wrap it up with one kind of one final question um to think through but you know I'll, I'll kind of kick this uh this uh rapid fire segment off with a uh, are you a, a spinner or a no spinner guy that's not fair i get paid by <laughs> i get paid by a spinner company that's not fair. well the, uh, 
You're right. That's not that's, fair. That's not. That's not fair. a fair. No, I and I tell those. I think a spinner, um, when used properly, is a very effective tool. I by no means use one daily. All right, Casey. Uh, I've got one for you. Hens uh, or no hens? If they didn't want them hens to die, they wouldn't put them on the menu. <laughs> That's Jimbo says the same thing. Jimbo Ronquist says the yep. same thing. <laughs> same exact quote. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> same exact that's quote. Who I got that from. Now, personally, I try to avoid it, but if it happens, I'm not bummed out. And I don't, when yeah. I say hens are on the menu, I don't shoot single mallard hens. She is almost always collateral damage. Like, you yeah. know, but it's not like, oh, yeah. that's a single hen. I'm going to kill it. No, 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 no. But, you know, if she comes in with eight of her buddies and she don't leave there, I ain't mad about it. I'm like, well, okay, moving on. <laughs> what, uh, here, here's another one for you. What's your, what's your favorite style of hunt? WRP. 100% 10 to 15 year old trees. That is my favorite because it provides a variety pack. Every species of waterfowl uses it. Um, yep. And I'm by no means early, a mallard purist. Uh, that early successional habitat is so, so strong. And then, like you talked about earlier, national food sources, man, it just WRP is a good, good program. Brett and I spent some time in DC kind of helping. I guess we weren't lobbying technically where we Brent, but anyway, it's a good program for sure. Uh, All right. I got my, I guess my last question here. Um, Are you holding out hope that Benelli will introduce a 410 autoloader? A man can dream, can he, Casey? A man (laughs) can dream. I I want one so bad. It's not even, it's not, I don't even like joking about it. Every time they, because, you know, we're we're behind the scenes with Benelli and know what they're releasing and all that stuff. So even when I knew the chaos was what it was, I was like, 410 autoloader, I just keep throwing it out there. So somebody has to take it back to the R&D department every time. Same way. Like, it's it, they've got to know that that it's wanted. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'll say this, when you... When you get ready for those boys to start shooting, give me a holler. Uh, I know a thing or two about shortening those Benelli stocks. You can put a little insert in them, and you can get them pretty doggone short for a youth hunter. Really? So hit me up on that time. Yeah, no, that's awesome because I bought them matching 28s the uh, day they were born. So Nice. Um, yeah, I, cool. yeah, I thought about it. I was like, man, it's going to be awesome. I won't have to take like three different boxes of shells and stuff like that. We're just all going to shoot 28 gauges. Right. Well, you can you can get them shorter than the standard youth model stocks. I think the youth stock is around 13 inch length of pool, but you can get them down to right around 12 inch length of pool uh, if you're willing to cut one. Beautiful. So, I'm, if, I'm willing to cut trash. It don't matter to me. I'm a I'm a what's a, a pioneer, so to speak. I'll I'll trash anything once <laughs> to try to make it work. So <laughs> right. we, we can buy new furniture for a gun. That's not that big yeah. deal. Amen. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right, and here's our our signature uh, sign off question uh, that uh, you can elaborate on is if, if you could change one thing about duck hunting, what would it be? Ooh, boy, that's a good one. Um, if I could change one thing about duck hunting, it would be the. Um, I'm trying to think of the correct way to say this, and it's not even doesn't even have to do with the hunting as much as the hunters. 
I would get rid of the um, uh, status, I guess, so to speak. I would I would do everything I could to bridge the gap between people who wear Sitka and people who wear Shin versus people who wear um, Magellan versus people who wear Drake. I I want everybody pulling the same direction on the same rope, and I feel that there's a giant chasm between all of us, even though we're all on the same freaking team. That's a, that's a great answer. Cause you are, you're dead, dead on the money uh, yep. with that, that at the end of the day, we got to realize if we're not all pulling on the same end of the rope, the, the sport will struggle to, to, to perpetuate. It just, it just will. We can't, we can't be divided as hard as it is hard as the life that ducks have and the hard as it is to hunt them. Um, we better be doing all of us. I better be doing, you know, pulling in the same direction, doing all we can for them. Uh, instead of worrying about what kind of clothes we're wearing and what kind of boat we drive. And yeah, the gun we shoot, the shells and, uh, we shoot. Look, everything's good. If yeah. they weren't good, it wouldn't be in business today. That's just where we are as a country and economically. So it's all good. We can wear different stuff. We all do. It doesn't matter. We just got to keep pulling the same way. Like just please keep pulling the same way. Quit, quit having this just giant gap in between us. And, and, you know, that's, what's really cool than the people that don't, and I'm not trying to go far, but the people that don't realize this about the, the duck hunting world and, and the business side of it, we're all friends with each other. Like yeah, me, Jimbo, Spencer. I mean, you just start naming them. We're all buddies. We're all hoping that everybody that year has record sales and calls because if they do, we do too. We're all rooting for each other. <laughs> You know, and and I think if the hunters would get that same mindset, we'd all be a lot better off. Yeah, the, the, the hunting world is small. I mean, even in the, the quote-unquote industry, hunters in general, it's small. You know, it's nowhere near the size of the just the shooting industry. But, yeah, we, we need to pull on the same, same rope in the same direction because, you know, managing a natural resource, that's hard enough as it is. But you start discussing Second Amendment issues that are facing us as well um we need to all get on the same page and realize that we all love the same sport uh, no matter what kind of clothes we wear well justin thanks for joining us today uh man i appreciate your time i know your schedule is crazy busy so thanks for that uh thank you all for tuning in stay tuned for another upcoming episode soon and please be sure to subscribe to the standard sportsman on your preferred podcast platform and follow us on social media at the standard sportsman the Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. I've always been a fan of Yeti coolers and their drinkware. Now, now they've come out with a Loadout 30 Go Box. Uh, Brent, did you know they're also making those in a 15 and a 60 now? I did. I've been a big fan of the 30. Uh, I actually carry around our, our mobile podcast gear in one. And then I've got another one that I use during duck season that I don't have to worry about any of my gear getting wet or dusty and dry when it when hadn't rained in a while. It's a amazing product yeah so I, I use them a bunch uh same deal i've got a 30 that stays in the boat uh carry camera gear and all sorts of equipment in it and it's nice to know that clients dogs you know nothing's going to get it wet going to tear it up but the the 15 has really found a spot in my arsenal as well 
I switched from hunting with clients to hunting with my kids pretty frequently. And it's great to, to use that 15 as an ammo box. So I've got all the kids, ammo, gauge reducers, hand warmers, whatever they're going to need in one box. And all I've got to do is grab it and I'm ready to take them out in the woods. Yeah. The Yeti Go box is, is definitely the way to go and keep it organized, accessible and protected. And it's no matter what size you pick, it's a must have for waterfowl season. Tom Beckby started in 2015 with the simple goal of making classic sporting apparel for sportsmen. Since introducing their flagship tinsaw jacket eight years ago, they've carried that goal forward with a full range of classic wax cotton jackets, canvas, and leather bags, and field gear for waterfowlers and upland hunters. You can shop for their full collection at TomBetby.com, in their Birmingham, Alabama, and Wilson, Arkansas stores, and at over 150 retailers across the United States. Backed by a lifetime guarantee, find out for yourself the difference between quality over quantity.